hope you enjoy this message from South City C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. Welcome to my talk show. Um, hey guys, so uh, this is, so yes, I'm Angela, like I said before. We've been doing a series over the last few weeks. We took two weeks break because of Easter and Cindy um, Rokeru being here last week. But we've been doing a series called What's Sex Got to Do With It? And it's been about sex and relationships in different stages of our lives. So single, dating, uh, marriage, and both John T, Josh, and Sarah have taken us through each of those stages. And this is our last uh, episode where we <laughs> do a Q&A answering your questions that um, a few of you guys wrote questions and put them at the back from last week. What we've done is we've tried to prioritise and put together the ones that are more relational focused. Um, there were also questions that were maybe a little bit more on the intellectual and theological side and that's important as well um, but because we wanted to be kind of practically helpful um, and from a more like a pastoral perspective we thought that we would choose questions that were more relational focused but this is a shameless plug to bring your theological questions to our theological young adults night in July mm. uh, we're very keen to discuss those things and I think they're really important so let me just pull up my notes for a second to make sure I don't forget anything Okay. Um, before we crack into the questions, I actually forgot the phone, so give me a second. Sorry, that's rude, isn't it? This is the, the little wee burner phone here, so if you send me questions to that number, then I will be able to answer them. Um, disclaimer before we start uh, is that we want this to be a conversation starter. Mm. Um, we don't aim to be able to completely answer and flesh out all the facets of each question in this tonight. We only have 35 minutes. Uh, but we want this to be something that we talk about within our small groups, within our community, because it's a really important part of our lives, um, whatever stage of life you're in. So um, that's our disclaimer. So I'm sorry if we don't you know, answer it fully fleshed tonight. Mm, it's a good and disclaimer. I, yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Um, so I might kick off with the first question, if that's all right with you guys. Mm. Yeah? Sorry, I need to get my document up. <laughs> um, so I'll start off with, John, you took this singles uh, night uh, that where we talked about purity and we talked about embracing singleness and what it looks like and how do we wait well and all that kind of thing. So the first question that I have for you is, how should singles express their sexuality in healthy ways? And you guys are welcome to obviously contribute as well, but I'll, I'll aim it at you guys and... You can add on at the end. Well, kia ora, Angela. Thank kia you ora, for Jonte. having us on your show today. Oh, you're very welcome. <laughs> Thank Do you, you want to introduce yourself, Jonty? Yeah, my name's Jonty. Um, I did the, the night on singleness, uh, and I've been married for about 15 years. Uh, so that's Qualifies not my... you to talk about these things. Yeah. yeah, you did call it a singles I'm night, and it did sound like it was uh, um, like speed dating or something oh, for sorry, a I second. Oh, Which... Which I know actually your description was really apt as to what we're talking about. Mm. Uh, so, um, the first question that has been asked, did we ask the question already? Or? Yes, how should singles yeah. express their sexuality? Yeah, how should singles express their sexuality is a really great question. I think it is a difficult question. It's one that we all need to wrestle with. And when I approached this topic of uh, singleness, it was one of the things I was keen to explore. I don't think I've come up with an answer which is... Um, 
complete because I'm not sure if there's been enough work done on actually bringing a completeness to this, this question. Uh, what we do need to realise at the start is that our sexuality is about much more than sexual intercourse. Yeah. Uh, sexuality is tied up with gender, it's tied up with a whole bunch of different things. And so to answer this question, just a couple of small things which I would point us towards. The first one is that we need to develop emotionally intimate relationships with other people. Because one of the functions of sexual intercourse and actually our sexuality is actually to draw us towards other people, is to provide a space for intimacy. And if you're a single person and you don't have a, a relationship where that can happen, there is still the opportunity, I think, to be drawn forwards towards emotional intimacy with others. And I think that is tied in with our sexuality. The other things I'd say is that we need to be really real with that longing that we have. We need to find a place where we can talk about that, a place that we can uh, discuss that with those who might understand and with those who can help us on that journey. Uh, we also need to learn to appreciate ourselves and who God's created us to be in our masculinity and our femininity. Uh, Rachel McConaughey sent me a fantastic um, website after that talk on singleness from a girl called Kat Harris, and she has uh, a site called uh, therefinedwoman.com, mm. and she talks about her own single journey as a Christian woman and how she learned to embrace her own sexuality. And she highlights some things such as uh, dancing and creativity, bringing new life into the world, and investing in self-care, amongst some other things on how to do this uh, really well. You can also look at some things that might be more up your alley, if, if that's not how to express your own uh, sexuality. Uh, and then the other thing I would say is let it draw you to God. Ultimately, we are supposed to be in a passionate, loving relationship with God. And so that is the ultimate end of all of our love, is knowing our Father and Creator. Mm. Yep, no, that's good. Good thoughts. Um, yeah, one thing that jumps to me uh, with this sort of question is um, I was actually just up in Palmerston North this week with Sarah and with Emmanuel, who, by the way, did an amazing job for his first time flying. You'll be pleased to know. Uh, first, we've got to tackle the one-hour flight, and then the next one's the 17 when it's time to go back to America. But... Uh, Anyway, I'm getting on a rabbit trail. So um, I, uh, I mentioned that we were doing this panel uh, among the, some of the leaders that we were with uh, up in Palmerston North, and uh, uh, one gal was pretty curious about some of the questions. So I was sharing them with her, and she was like, oh, man, how are you going to answer that? I said, oh, I'm not sure. Uh, but she came to this question, and um, she actually said, well, one thing, she said, I was single until I was 32. And um, she said one thing that I found really, really helpful was actually being intentional about finding some godly people to live with. Uh, and so she had some, some uh, flatmates that she had uh, built relationship with. And she said even sometimes she uh, shared a room with some other gals. And uh, she said that actually just, it just felt like she was doing life with someone and uh, still got to sort of fill uh, some of those relational needs that we have, and um, said that was really helpful during her season of singleness. Mm. And I think it's important as well as the church for us to, to to fill that hole. That's what we're here for, is to fill that relational and emotional, I guess, gap that, that people 
all have, and I think that there, um, there's always, I guess, improvements to be had. I know that um, as a single person recently and also having single friends in the church, it can be really difficult to feel like a bit unseen or a bit like there's no events or you know what I mean because there's lots of things for couples or for married people so I think that's something that we can be very practical and just um, inviting our single friends along to things or just embrace you know just celebrating with them where they're at in life mm. so yes, thanks indeed. guys um, next question my phone has face ID and it can't see it with the microphone oh, in, right. in front. Sorry, that's why it's taking a while. Should have gotten Android. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's not a question that we're debating tonight. Um, I might throw this one at you, Josh, because mm. you did the dating, the, yes. the, the um, night on dating relationships. So the question is, is sexual compatibility a thing in Christian relationships or marriage? And should it be explored whilst dating? So two-tiered question there. Mm, is, is, is sexual, compati sexual compatibility yep. a thing in mm. Christian relationships? Should it be explored during dating? Because it's very primary in our world. Mm. Like our songs, our movies, yeah, sure. you know, like in the kind of, it, we're surrounded by, by sexual compatibility and finding the person that you, you know, try before you buy, et cetera, yes. et cetera. That's right. Yeah, so do you have any thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, man, what a great question. Uh, I think, you know, when you're in that space of dating, uh, I think you are uh, journeying with the other person and what you're trying to work out and what they're trying to work out is, is, is this somebody who I am willing to spend the rest of my life with? Uh, and so I think it's, it's completely fair to wonder, uh, are we going to click in all areas, including around sexual compatibility? Um, I think there is a, a, a somewhat of an assumption with the, the question um, that I just want to challenge. And I think the, the assumption is this. I think it's the assumption that our, our sexual compatibility, our sexual preferences are something that are, are fixed yeah, or true. set in stone. You know, in the same way, I don't know, that I've got blue eyes or two hands or nine toes. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I do have ten toes. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it, we kind of see it, I think our culture might see it as it's this fixed thing, so you've got to check it out and make sure that you're, mm. you're compatible with somebody else because you're going to spend the rest of your life with them. Uh, I think in practice, the truth is, is over the length of any kind of marriage, uh, your sexual compatibility with your spouse is going to fluctuate. Mm. Uh, it's going to change because of children, because of aging, because of whole other host of health things and so on and so forth. And um, so I think to assume you have to get that figured out you know, before you're married, actually it, it isn't necessarily the case. Mm. Um, that being said, I think it's very, very important to explore uh, what are your expectations. Uh, so with somebody that you're dating, you know, let's say you've been dating for a while and you're moving towards, yep, I'm thinking that we're going to get married. Uh, I think actually it's, it's pretty appropriate to ask uh, questions around what your expectations are for sex or sex expectations, if you will. Uh, promise that just came to me. <laughs> Haven't been thinking about that all Holy day and where I'm going to get to use it tonight. Um, yeah, so I think that's, that's really appropriate. Yeah, no, that's good. Mm. Shanti, you have anything to add to that? I think oh, yeah. that's 
Great. Can you hear me? Uh, I think that's a great point about uh, this part of the dating relationship doesn't uh, give the full summary of what this part of the marriage would look like. Mm. And so trying this out so that you can see what it's going to be like for the next 80 years is not going to give you a picture of what it's going to be like for the next 80 years. Mm. And so going on that journey together, when you get married, you get to develop and grow and learn what your sex life looks like throughout the years of marriage. So. Yeah, and uh, I'll just say I once had a workmate and I uh, worked in a, a greenhouse picking peppers, and uh, this girl worked uh, alongside me, and she said, well, you're not having sex before you get married. She said, sex is like ice cream. How do you know you're not going to be lumped with strawberry ice cream for the entirety of your life? And I said to her, well, if I've never had ice cream, I'll just be happy to have ice cream. <laughs> That's a good answer. Can I ask a follow-up question to that? Um, so sexual attraction then. So how do I phrase this question? So what role does sexual attraction play then in the dating relationship? Because it's not something that you can, I guess, ex explore mm. practically. And so how do you, what if you don't feel particularly physically attracted to this person, but you're very emotionally attracted to them? Like, mm. how, do you have any thoughts on, on attraction and dating? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, I think that your attraction to someone is actually part of the thing that you're figuring out while you're dating. Uh, so you're asking those questions of yourself, like, do I see myself connecting well with this person? Uh, am I attracted to them mm. in the different ways? And can you live with that? And can they live with that? Mm. I think that's all part of the, the working out that you're trying to do while you're in that place of dating. Yeah. I heard someone say that uh, all of us are awoken or awaken at some point in our lives with attraction. Um, and that person who awakens that attraction, it kind of creates a, a blueprint for what we're going to naturally be drawn to. Um, but you can actually rewrite that blueprint. So if you're attracted to someone and you're awakened at, you know, 12 years old and you're awakened to a, a redhead who's fair-skinned, who is four foot tall, and you feel that attraction throughout your life. Um, that was an arbitrary example. Yes, right? yes. <laughs> uh, that doesn't mean that you have to stick with that for the rest of your life. You can rewrite that attraction. But I guess it explains why you feel attracted to certain people um, throughout your life. You're drawn to them because that's who you were awoken to. Awake, awoken? Is that a word? Awoken. Mm. Sounds right. Great. Great. Thanks, guys. So, Josh, you mentioned um, that dating is part of, part of the, well, the whole process of dating is to figure out um, in all these different aspects whether this is going to work long term and whether you're going to choose to marry them. So, um, how do you know? Like, how do you, what are some points of wisdom that you guys can give us around how you figure out that somebody that you're dating is somebody that you're ready to marry? Yeah, I'll jump in on this one. Mm. Uh, yeah, really great question. I think this is an important question for each of us to consider. There are a number of factors which I would think are very, very important uh, in this uh, particular arrangement. The first one is that you actually like spending time with them. 
You enjoy being around uh, this other person. I remember one of my best friends uh, got a girlfriend, and he came, uh, it was the first of our friendship group to kind of get a girlfriend, and came back from where he was, and we said, oh, how pretty is she? And he went, oh, you know, maybe seven out of ten, she's, she's okay looking, but not amazing. And we're like, what? Why, why are you going out with her then? And he said, well, he said, it was this interesting thing. He said, I didn't look at her and straight away get blown away by her, but then I spent time with her, and I really loved spending time with yeah. her. And I think as the seasons go on, we talk about sexual compatibility. That can come and go, but it is actually the friendship that is going to make for a strong and healthy marriage. So number one, you need to enjoy spending time with that person. The second thing, as we've talked about, is attraction. I said to my friend, my friend actually ended up marrying this girl. And he said, well, this interesting thing happened. As I spent more time with her, my physical attraction to her actually grew. Mm. And we hear these stories, and I've even uh, seen some things written online about you know that someone's the right person for you if when they walk in the room, you just feel floored by them. And I think, man, what an immature way to look at things. Because attraction is this, this interesting thing that... Uh, it's, it's not just about an objective standard. It's not just about that, that thing, what it does to your heart. But it, it can grow over time. Mm. But I do think attraction is essential. If you get married to someone you're not attracted to, then it's going to be, I think, a, a difficult journey for you. You need to be attracted to them. And then the third thing that I would look at with people is I would look at, do you have areas of what I would say are agreement in your life? They say that the most successful marriages happen from people who have the most things in common. So if you have similarities in a number of different areas of your life, then you're more likely to have a successful marriage. They call it a little bit like money. Everything that's similar for you is like money in the bank. And everything that's different is like a debt that you owe. If you have more money in the bank, when the pressure's on, things are going to be a bit easier. If you owe more, then you're on a little bit of a shaky foundation. Doesn't mean you can't work through those things. But if you have agreement on some of the key areas, on things like your faith, on things like uh, how you communicate, the values that you have, uh, the expectations you have around this person being a person of character and being a person uh, whose habits you actually enjoy, uh, around finances, and yet around uh, sexuality as well, if you have those conversations. And there is another one, which you're not going to know until it happens, and that's parenting. But if you can see that there is compatibility and there is um, agreement in those areas, and you have friendship and you have attraction, then you're in a pretty good place to be able to take that next step forward. I think I've read about something like that in the Bible, something about being equally yoked or something like that. Mm, nice. And what characteristics do you, have you guys found personally in your spouses that have been, I guess, helpful, money in the bank, in your marriage, if you could choose one or two from the top of your heads? Definitely faith. Uh, I think that is a, a binding agent that Josh and I have found. Um, I think uh, humor, our humor is different, but we can laugh at each other. And that's important, because I dated a guy who just thought my humor was so dumb. 
And it's very sad if your <laughs> partner thinks your humor is dumb. So humor and faith nice. would be good. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep, I think that's definitely true. I think if you're, if you're sharing a faith, you're sharing a, uh, a worldview. I think the way you view the world is very important mm -hmm. uh, because it kind of determines the, the values that you have. And so you're going to find that the closer your worldview is with your spouse, uh, then I think the, the more in common you're going to have and mm -hmm. easier life will be. Mm -hmm. hmm. I've mentioned most of mine, but I'd also add to them where they squeeze the toothpaste. Uh, That's yes. really important. Yeah, at the top or the bottom? And which yeah, way the toilet roll goes. Uh, yes. Top. Very, very important. It could be a deal breaker in some circumstances. <laughs> I love that. Where do you squeeze your toothpaste tube, Josh? Uh, I feel like you're a, the bottom-up type uh, of person. Actually, I actually do right near the, the top. It's oh. infuriating, actually, because I, I like squeeze it until there's all this toothpaste <laughs> at the bottom and then none comes out. And You'd think it would occur to me to change my way. And it used to drive me nuts, but now I just do the same thing. So <laughs> yeah. it just drives each other Money nuts. In the bank. So it's great. Yeah. Money in the bank. Great. <laughs> um, okay, well, we'll move on to our next question. Sarah, I'll ask you this one. Um, you took the, session, the uh, night on marriage and how to, or tips to have a healthy marriage. So this question says, gender norms in marriage, do they exist and which ones are crucial from your experience or your perspective for a well-functioning marriage? Cool. Uh, gender norms absolutely exist in marriage because gender norms are developed by the culture you grew up in, the country you grew up in, the family you grew up in. So you can't escape gender norms, right? Um, but the key uh, to a, a well-functioning marriage is that you are communicating uh, expectation once you enter marriage. And so gender norms, yeah, you might grow up with them. And we grew up in the same state in northern Michigan, but we still had different expectations or different gender norms based on the families that we grew up in. And so communicating what your expectations are is the key to a well-functioning marriage. And I did a little research around the phrase gender norms, and I found out that it became a popular phrase in the 1970s with the feminist um, movement. And it became popular because the gender norms, it was uh, largely guys are here and girls are here, right? And there was this inequality, and so they were identifying gender norms as a, a negative thing, like let's break out of the box of gender norms. Um, but as I was looking at the verse of uh, in the beginning in Genesis where it says, it's not good for man to be alone, let's create a helper for him. Is it the man is here and the female is here? No, it's not because the word for helper is azer. And it means helper, but it describes a female in two cases in the Bible. And it describes God as an azer. 18 other times in the Bible. And so God is our helper. Does that mean God is lesser than us? No, absolutely not. And so when God created relationship, he created us as like a puzzle piece to complement one another, each other. Um, so uh, yeah, working out those gender norms and having the conversation uh, is key to well-functioning in your marriage. 
Yeah, it's good. I think um, as well, I think it, it would be good for us as, as people of faith to not feel like our gender norms or the norms of, of what a husband or a wife is are kind of like predetermined for us. I think it's actually pretty subjective. For example, in uh, the, the culture that we grew up in, the Midwest and the United States, uh, it's kind of this unspoken thing that the wife of the house does a lot of the cooking. But uh, my mother, bless her, uh, could do about four dishes well. Um, and the rest, uh, we just said we're not hungry. Uh, we'll have to uh, not share this on Facebook. <laughs> it is being it's shared already on Facebook. On oh, Facebook okay. Sorry, Mom. I love you. I love you. <laughs> I love you. Uh, so um, that being said, my dad loves to cook. And so he did all of the cooking growing up, and so that was just what was normal in our mm -hmm. house. And so I think uh, there's, a great, um, there's a great marriage resource, I think it's called Love After Marriage, it's put up by Bethel Church, and uh, I think the language they use is around, they call it, uh, everybody's got their own code book, mm -hmm. and so everybody's got their expectations and their ideas of, of how things should go and what their parents modeled to them of what marriage looks like. And so what you're trying to do, I think, is uh, work out what each other's codes are and their values. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you're in the place of dating, then you're trying to uh, evaluate if you're going to be compatible. And I think if you're in the place of marriage, you're trying to figure out how do we make this compatible. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's the part of when you're dating somebody, you're figuring out what are the norms or for yes. you, you know, the ones that you do fulfill or the ones that you don't and what works and what doesn't. So I think it's important to be fluid about that and to be to be flexible and open. That's good. Um, okay, let's we'll we'll go on to a more like I'd say this is like a heavier question, but I think it's a really important one. Um, and I'll combine it I'll, I'll combine two questions if that's okay. Um, the question is around like forgiveness, and it it asks when and if one sins sexually, particularly if it's repetitive behavior or if they've lost their virginity in the past, how do they move forward, get back up on their feet in a meaningful way? So balancing the godly sorrow that the Lord speaks about in the Bible, where godly sorrow leads to repentance, but worldly sorrow is destructive, where worldly sorrow brings shame and it brings heaviness where you can't move forward. So in a very practical sense, when one sins, and if it's repetitive, how do they move forward well? It's a bit of a heavy question, isn't it? But I think it's important. It's a, a, a practical question. Yeah, that is an excellent question. Sarah? <laughs> <laughs> I think the biggest thing about repetitive sexual sin is the shame that often comes with it. And to have someone that you are willing to be completely open about what you're going through cuts through that shame. Mm. Um, and I heard it once said that oftentimes with sin or with shame, it's like being in a dark room and taking a bucket and trying to get the darkness out of the room. But actually, you need to bring the light into the room. And when you are vulnerable with someone, when you share like completely all the details, when you share what you're going through, it turns that light on and it cuts through that shame and it helps you to get back on your feet so that you're not just carrying around the shame of this sexual sin. That's right. What was that thing you were telling me about earlier that Warren Gooman said? It was so good. Uh, <laughs> Warren. <laughs> um, 
Does that oh, pertain to this? There he is. Yeah, he's right there. So I called <laughs> out to him. <laughs> Wait, it, it was really, really good. Yeah. Um, I don't know how you're connecting it to this, but what I was. Oh, well, you were saying you were talking about uh, how there grace is and truth. grace and truth. Mm. And if we are all grace, then everything goes. Mm. Uh, if we're all truth, then we're going to bash people sort of over the head with, with the truth. Mm. Uh, but we need this. We need to live in the tension of, of both. Mm. Uh, and so that was that was what I was kind of connecting. Mm. Yeah. So maybe to. Uh, to connect it to this question would be to to know the truth, know to know who God calls you to be, mm. but also know that we walk by grace and God extends mm. uh, grace and mercy to us when we're messing up. Mm. That's right. By the way, we just saw a real-life example of what marriage is like. Sometimes as one spouse, you say something, and the other person goes, what on earth are you talking about? But then Sarah very, very generously went, oh, Rescue okay, let's try, and, let's try and connect the dots. And then Josh was able to communicate more, and they were able to find that middle ground. Beautiful, guys. Love you, babe. Thanks, love. So, having, so I guess balancing that grace and that truth um, sharing with somebody very openly, giving, I guess there's that verse that I'm thinking of now that says that God is faithful to forgive us if we ask him. to. What, what is it? Is it in James? You, you know what I'm talking about? Um, if we confess our sins, then God is faithful and just to forgive us. And I think remembering that that is actually unconditional, like the whole point of his grace is that it's unconditional and um, that it is limitless. Like he is the same yesterday, today and forever. He died for you on the cross and that sacrifice was there at that time and it is for there for you every day and his compassions renew every morning. And I think that that grace empowers you to be able to walk in the light better um, but I think having people and having community is the, the biggest thing because mm. you have to be able to come and kind of get that weight off, you know, and and ask for prayer and ask for help in that process. Yeah, and I think my one thing to add here is I hear a lot of people say, I struggle with this sin. I'm such a failure. And I go, no, you're not. Mm. If you're struggling, you're still fighting. Yeah, that's good. And right. you can't that's be good. a failure. Mm. It's when you give up. Yeah. It's when you go, oh, I'm never going to beat this. Mm. This is just who I am. Mm. That's, that's when you start to move into the place of failure. Mm. So if you're struggling with a sin tonight, if you're in that place, keep struggling. Mm. Get back up again. Yeah, that's good. good. Yeah. And I guess a follow-up or related question is that if somebody has lost their virginity in the past and they're wanting to date in a, you know, in a Christian relationship, um, how do they navigate that? Um, with this new person, do you have any tips or thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is that we serve a God who is able to take our ashes and turn them into beauty. Yeah, I mean. And so uh, I think wherever we've come from in our journey, the past is in the past, uh, and there is fresh mercy for us today. Uh, so I think um, I think you can still, you know, have have. Uh, you know, lost your virginity or whatever, um, and still go on to have a beautiful marriage uh, uh, that that is vibrant and mm. godly and all those things. So that doesn't, mm. uh, in the same way that none of our other sin disqualifies us because of what Jesus did on the cross, yeah. uh, so also that doesn't disqualify us. And how would they bring that up 
in a dating relationship? Like, obviously, it's different for every person, but do you have any tips on how you would bring that up um, and address that? Yeah, oh, I do think there is a, a place to have that conversation. I wouldn't have it on the first date. Uh, <laughs> I think that is, as you begin to move towards, oh, maybe this is someone I'm going to marry, I think towards the start, you definitely have conversations about boundaries, expectations about your own values and what you're going to do or not do in this relationship. Get agreement on that, absolutely. As you head towards marriage, uh, I know we did, we had really frank conversation, my wife and I, about uh, our sexual history and what that looked like, things that uh, I'd struggled with and things that she'd struggled with, and we were able to have that open dialogue, and I think that would then be a time to have that discussion, yeah. unless it came up pretty naturally yeah. before then, and then it could just be part of the conversation as you get to know each other more and more. Mm. Cool. Thanks, guys. Um, now, this is the last proper question that I have on hand. We actually only have five minutes left, so it's probably... Uh, a yeah, we could do a few, but we'll see. So this question is... Um, I think, John T, you had a good answer. We talked about this beforehand, and so um, we'll let you take the lead on this one. So, does the Bible provide any reason for why homosexuality is wrong? This is the last question. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a pearl to end on. It is yeah. a great question, yeah. and I do want to take just a little bit more time yeah. over it, if that's yeah. okay with you guys. Hopefully, I'm not going to take up all of our time. I actually want to begin by... Uh, making a subtle but really important point. Yeah. The Bible does not say that homosexuality is wrong. Mic drop. Uh, homosexuality is a really broad term that has been given many definitions. For example, Britannica.com, if you go on there, would say homosexuality is when you are attracted to uh, or you have a desire for uh, someone as the same sex as you. You have sexual interests in the same, someone in the same sex as you. Mm. The Bible never says that being attracted to someone of the same sex as you, the same gender as you, is a sin. And it's important that we remember that each person is created in the image of God, regardless of uh, where they stand on this issue. They are, we're all marred by the fall, but we are precious and worthy in his sight. And if you're here tonight and you're in any of the categories that we talk about, we want you to know that uh, God loves you, we love you, you're really welcome here. Yeah. Now, I would say that the Bible does consistently say, not that homosexuality is wrong, but that having sex with someone is the same gender as you is a sin. Mm. Men and women are having sex with... Um, a man having sex with a man, a woman having sex with a woman, is outside of God's design. And I think that's consistent through Scripture. If you were to ask an Old Testament Hebrew what Scripture says about gay sex, they would tell you that in the first pages of Scripture, God designed man for woman. And that was supposed to be the context uh, for that sexual relationship. And a lifelong commitment, a covenant, there's something they would probably say that's sacred about that. Like... Uh, a bow is made for a violin. They are made for each other. If you were then to skip forward to Jesus and ask Jesus what he says about that, he would say the same thing. He would also go back to this original design 
And Jesus affirmed that marriage is between a man and a woman in Matthew chapter 19. He also cautioned against sexual immorality in Matthew 15. What does sexual immorality mean for a first century Jew? Well, it means there is a, a holiness code from Leviticus 18 to 20. And that holiness code covers all kinds of things from uh, sex uh, with your mother-in-law or sex uh, with um, your neighbor's wife. Or it also says don't sleep with your sister. And it says don't, uh, for, for males, don't sleep with another man. And then if you were to track forward to the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the letters to Christians, what would he say about gay sex? Well, he would talk to Christians, and he never intended these words to be weaponized to those outside the church. He would say that when men have sex with men and women have sex with women, it is wrong. And he says that in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10, 1 Timothy 1, and also Romans chapter 1. And there is this argument going around that, well, Paul and his culture didn't really have an understanding of what we have an understanding of today. Paul was speaking, some people think, about prostitution, temple worship, and pedophilia. And the argument goes, since he had no concept of gay marriage, he couldn't condemn it. However, if you look at history, that's actually just not true. Same-sex relationships and same-sex coupling was a big deal in ancient Rome. The emperor at the time was Nero, and Nero married a man. That was pretty uh, common in that time. And it's why many scholars like N.T. Wright would say that when Paul said these things, he had in mind every kind of homosexual uh, sex. And that leads, I think, to the only conclusion that the consistent authoritative view of Scripture is that homosexual sex acts are wrong. And why? The reason why that Paul and the Old Testament authors and Jesus would say is because it is outside of God's design uh, about who we are as people, that design for sex to be inside of that lifelong commitment to each other. And the kickback I've heard from Christians at times is that this is just too harsh. It, it's, it's too difficult inside of our world. And that a person's sexuality is uh, who they are. And uh, you can't force them to give it up. Now, I agree that sexuality is a huge part of identity. But for the Christian, we must remember that it's secondary. Our identity is found first in who we are in Jesus. And that means that that sexuality has to be brought to him and brought to him in a way that we might uh, surrender. And you might be here and you might identify as gay or lesbian or bisexual or asexual or, you know, any, anything along that um, raft of definitions. And you're so welcome here. Let me repeat that. But that is not the key thing that defines you. The key thing that defines you if you're a Christian is your faith in Jesus. And you might struggle with porn, or you might have had sexual experiences, or you might find that it's hard to maintain that standard. Uh, none of that defines you. It's not who, you're, who you are. Your faith in Jesus is who you are. And each of us, whether we're heterosexual or homosexual, need to come and lay that down at the foot of Jesus and surrender it to him. And then we can see, we can begin to see 
that Jesus will bring new life out of this area of our lives, whoever we are, bring new life. Does that mean that if you are attracted to males, that God won't make you attracted to males anymore? Sometimes, but often not, and that's okay. But you will still see God bring something good out of that, something I need to do all the time. That's something we all need to do as we bring our sexuality to him. Do you guys have any thoughts on, you know, if we have friends, family members, members in our church that are struggling with homosexuality, um, how, how do we help our friends? How do we help our children? How do we help our friends' children? You know, how do we actually love on them in the best way? And uh, if we have members of our church or friends that are continuing to participate in um, homosexual acts or marriage, I guess, how do you navigate loving them in that way? Uh, I, I, I don't, th- yeah, I, no different than we would uh, our friend or our um, uh, relative who is living with their partner or yeah. sleeping with their partner. I, I don't see any difference. I mm. have gay neighbours. I also have neighbours who cohabit. Uh, they're all yeah. just the same. And yeah. and my gay neighbours are lovely people. And my neighbours who cohabit are lovely people. They're, I don't see any difference in the way that we should uh, treat those people. We treat them with love. We treat them with, with grace. And we treat them with uh, mm. care. And we make sure that we... Try and bring the love of Jesus. Their biggest problem is not their sexuality. Their biggest problem is that they need to come into a living relationship with Jesus. And it's the same for each of us. Yeah, Yeah, that exactly highlights it, I think. I I think uh, that exactly highlights the the very first thing with our our workmates and our friends and our neighbors that don't know Jesus. First Mm. protocol is just to get them to the cross. Uh, And then I think if there's... uh, enter into a relationship with Jesus, then it's a matter of just journeying alongside of them. Uh, and actually, I think one thing uh, that I think is important for us to highlight, especially when it comes to our living out a, uh, our sexuality in a way that is holy and pleasing to the Lord, we can't do it in our own strength. We need the transforming power of the Holy Spirit yeah. to come and change us from the inside out. Mm. And that's true for you and I. That's also true for anyone else who is coming into the kingdom, um, I think we are joining them on their journey uh, and encouraging them to Mm. be transformed uh, by their relationship with the Spirit and with Jesus. Uh, Just to add a little bit, that don't confront people who you don't love. Mm. Uh, Confrontation or calling out someone's sin who you don't have relationship with Mm. is a disaster. Like, we are called to relationship and we are called to confrontation. We are called to call people higher and to call them to live holy, mm. but in the context of relationship. And so, yeah, build relationship. And I think we have this thing as a church historically where we've compartmentalized sexual sin and then all the other sins, and this is elevated. And I think there has been damage done um, to um, the LGBT community from the church. and. It, I guess it is also therefore our job to make sure that we redeem that and to love as because we have the answer. That's that's who we are. We are the church, and we um, 
I think it's also our responsibility to say that, hey, we've messed up in the past in that, and we therefore um, need to find a way to best love our neighbours um, and, and redeem the past. Um, I, I'll finish on a lighter question. We have run out of time, but I just, I want to finish on a lighter question. <laughs> Um, but I, I really thankful for you guys for for answering all of our questions with so much grace mm. because I think that it's really important that we have these conversations in the church. Um, so you're all married, and uh, we've talked about dating relationships. We've talked about singleness. We've just touched a little bit about marriage. And our final question from our audience is: What are your tips to keep your sex life and marriage alive? Read books. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. What kind of books? <laughs> sex books. Sex books. Read sex books. That's good. That's good. Any recommendations? What's a good sex book that you guys have read? Uh, I really enjoy the book called Sheet Music, which is a very clever title as well. Um, yeah, but I've just found... Uh, reading books has helped me to actually focus and put my attention and say that this is an important part of our married life. I want to give attention to this area. And so reading books is a statement of I'm giving my attention. Hmm. Yeah, that's right. I think uh, if you're in, if you're in a, a married relationship, I think uh, actually having intentional times to check in and say, hey, how are we going? Uh, mm. How are we doing? Where where do we need to grow? Uh, are you feeling happy with where we're at? And uh, just communicating like that's all part of the the growing and the joining together. Uh, you know, you, you you tie the knot, so to speak, uh, on the day that you get married. But there's uh, a weaving together that mm. happens for decades. Uh, and so, yeah, that's very good. important to keep that line of communication open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say don't have kids. <laughs> yep, <laughs> kids, kids, uh, kids can can really uh, make things a bit more difficult. Um, <laughs> communication, yeah, is really key. It's being able to chat about things and talk about things. It can be one of the hardest areas to talk about mm. uh, if you want to talk about things that aren't going well with your spouse. That can be an area that they can feel uh, pressure and trapped, and it, it speaks to so many deep areas of our life. So the book is a great idea because what happens as you read the book is you go, well, this person says this. What do, what do we think? And so then you've got an, almost an outside party who's able to mm, help you through some of those things. That's a really good thing. Um, but yes, keeping passion alive in marriage is something that you do have to continually work on. Mm. I know some people, they just it's what works for them, they schedule it. Mm. They say, okay, we're going to schedule that we're having sex. When are we having sex this week? We're having sex uh, this night or these nights. And for them, that works really well because there's not a frustration when there's unmatched um, energy or there's unmatched libido. There's one person wants to have it more than the other. Uh, at least there is a communication and a clear idea of, okay, sex is happening these nights and we know that we can uh, make sure that we've got the space and the energy to make that happen and happen well. So that really works for some people. Other people uh, appreciate more doing the spontaneous approach. You've just got to do what works for you. But I think it has to be clear, 
communication and lots of checking in and going, hey, how are we doing? Um, is this an area? Did you say we need to grow in? Mm. Who needs to do the growing? <laughs> anyway. Yeah, uh, that's right. Yes, there are pills that can help with that. <laughs> right. Oh, I can medically speak There's to always that. one. Um, yeah, and also, I, I also just want to say, if you're, if you're single and you want to be married someday, uh, don't wait to start reading those books until you're married uh, or you're dating somebody. Uh, I was this really weird kid when I was 16. I, for some reason, had this idea that I just wanted to have a really good, healthy marriage. Didn't know when I was going to meet my spouse, but I started reading marriage books. Uh, and I'd actually bring them into class with me in high school, and everybody was like, why are you reading Love and Respect? Uh, and uh, they thought it was pretty weird, but hey, I've got a great marriage. Uh, so um, yeah, don't, don't be afraid to start doing that and start the journey now. Uh, one other tip on keeping your sex life alive that someone told me is to ask yourself when you're kind of in the moment, why not here, why not now? And uh, that phrase really helped me because I guess you have that typical idea of like sex is done in this place at this time, the lights are down low, it's nine o'clock, you know, and you just have a typical idea of what's the place for sex. But ask yourself the question, why not here? Why not now? And that is a tip to keep your passion alive. Thanks, guys. Mm. That was good ending. <laughs> Um, so I think that's going to be the end of our panel tonight. I can see the lolly cake waiting at the back of the room there. Thank you so much for sending your questions in. I hope that I got to most of them. Um, thank you to our panellists. You guys have been so lovely and gracious and kind in your answers and wise. And we love that we get to learn from you. It's such an honour to be listening to you tonight. Oh, thanks, Ange. You're and welcome. didn't Ange do a great job hosting tonight? Thanks, guys. Just, just a reflection of the audience. The next Oprah. <laughs> Yeah, come to my talk show, guys. You're welcome. Um, okay, so we'll end the night there. Um, next week, I'm not sure what's happening next week, but we'll see you here next Sunday. There's some lolly cake at the back. Remember about our murder mystery night in three weeks, May the 15th. Time to be announced. But yes, let's pray. Let's pray to end. Um, Lord, Father, we just thank you, Father, that you are not afraid of questions. You're not afraid, Lord, of us asking why, and you actually desire for us to draw closer to you and to seek knowledge and to seek wisdom and understanding, Lord. You bless that. Um, we thank you so much, Lord, for everybody here tonight. We ask, Lord, that there would be grace in this room. Father, we rebuke any sense of shame. Father, and we ask that you would bring um, our minds into the light, Lord, that you would help us build connection within our church, that we would feel safe to talk about our struggles and our celebrations with one another, Lord, that you would build um, connections to help us fight off, Lord, the enemy, to help us fight the, the struggle that it is, Lord, to, to be human and to be in relationship. And we just ask, Lord, that you would bless us as we go. Uh, continue the conversations, Father, and give us your wisdom because we really desire it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.